I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to History Rage, our new podcast where we invite members of the historical community to get angry, to get a few things off their chest. My name is Paul Bavel, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Kyle Glover. Hello. And this week's guest is a lady with the finest job title I have ever heard of. This week, we are talking to, and I am not making this up, the Conservator of Human Remains for the Surgeons Hall Museum in Edinburgh. Kat Irving, welcome to the show. Hello, lovely to be here. Lovely to have you here. So, Kat, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what the, what you do up at the Surgeons Hall? Well, as my job title suggests, I'm the Conservator of Human Remains. So basically, at Surgeons Hall, we have a large collection of historical human remains. And this is everything from entire skeletons down to the teeniest, tiniest little ear ossicles. Uh, it involves a lot of soft tissue that's preserved in fluid. And so my job is to make sure that these are all um, maintained because uh, things do want to decompose. That's their natural state of state of events. So it's to make sure that that's not happening. So it's doing things like removing fat. It's um, changing fluids on things, giving things a bit of a dust, um, just making sure that everything is in tip-top condition, uh, making new cases for things. And so making sure that they're looked after and also making, making sure that they're given the level of respect that they're, they deserve as human remains. Sounds like a bit of a gruesome job. Uh, I don't think it's so gruesome. I mean, it's, you know, it's lovely to actually be able to spend the time with these people. You know, I feel that is... a you know, a huge privilege. And I love my job more than anybody loves their job. You know, it's a thing that I genuinely enjoy. And making sure that these things are looked after and respected, I think is incredibly important. And so, you know, the fact that some of the things, you know, um, 
dealing with all that fat. Sometimes things have mold that needs to be removed. You know, it's not the pleasantest. Sometimes things are a bit smelly. It's still a wonderful job. And I think it's very, very important to be, uh, that it's done. Well, moving from the thing that you love the most to the thing that you hate the most, onto the rage. Kat, what is the one historical thing you just wish people would stop believing? Well, one of the things about working in Surgeon's Hall is that one of our star attractions is a book which is said to be bound in the skin of William Burke. Now, William Burke was a man who was hanged in January 1829, um, and he was hanged for the crime of murder. Him and his accomplice, who got off by turning King's evidence, um, they had murdered 16 people over the course of 1828 to sell their bodies to anatomists. Now, often the, the anatomists were being supplied by body snatchers, people who are going into graveyards to dig bodies up. And so what you get is a lot of people will say that William Burke was a body snatcher, that Burke and Hare were body snatchers. And it simply isn't true. They're not body snatchers, they're murderers, they're serial killers. But I've heard this said in so many places. You know, back in the before times, pre-COVID, uh, I would spend one, one Wednesday night a month at an event uh, in the back room of a pub. And I always overlapped with the, uh, the end of the whiskey tours that had been in there beforehand. So I'd be sitting there waiting, waiting for my people to turn up, reading my book. And I would often hear the whiskey tours telling uh, the people there about Burke and Hare. And inevitably they would say, they were body snatchers. But it's not just these tours. You know, I mean, back at, when I was doing talks in public, I would sometimes talk about Burke and Hare. And often enough, I was saying about Burke's hanging, I'd say, do you know what he was hanged for to the audience? And a lot of the time they would say body snatching. If and only it was a hanging offence. <laughs> and it's not even, you know, you know, just that you know even in sort of more professional situations you know the tv series penny dreadful uh, they had a scene where the character of dorian gray went to a waxworks museum and sees two shadowy figures digging up bodies and he says that's burke and hare the body snatchers and i've even heard university professors uh, make the same claim saying the body snatchers burke and hare and as i say that's just not what they were. They were too lazy for that. Um, digging up graves, it's hard work. Yeah, because you, you mentioned that. Myself and Kyle recently were at the Chalk Valley History Festival. and We did a demonstration on how to snatch a body, which if the Surgeon's Hall Museum would like it, it's available. Um, okay. And yeah, it, it was hard work. Throughout, we kept we kept a burt count by the uh, cross-section of a grave we'd built and for all the people that had come up and go, oh, is this all about Burke and Hare? 26 over the course of a weekend and you can see why they kind of like cut out the work yeah i mean that's it you know they're, they're they're taking the easy route you know killing someone in the way that they did you know it's a lot easier than going into a grave at night trying to avoid the people that might see them and be quite angry about the fact they're doing this and then going through the actual you know the dog's work of, of digging up the grave and pulling the body out and then having to sneak it around the place we can confirm it quite hard work. That's why we got our friend Rory to do all the actual digging when we did our display. We did all the talking <laughs> instead. <laughs> it's not easy using a wooden shovel. <laughs> yes. So um, how come this idea of them being 
Birkenhair the body snatchers rather than Birkenhair the serial killers sticks around? Why do people want them to be thought of as body snatchers? I think there is something about the idea of body snatching which does cast a particular horror into people's souls, even now, sort of several hundred years um, after uh, the prime of body snatching uh, taking place happened. You know, I think that it's just something that, that gives it an extra layer of terror. You know, people are much more used to stories of murder, and serial killers, whereas body snatching, it's got that extra frisson of something or other that, that just chills people's souls. So I think that that certainly has something to do with it. Um, and we can see that in the film uh, from 1945 uh, with Bela Lugosi and uh, Boris Karloff, which was set in Edinburgh after the, uh, the Burke and Hare events the Westport murders, um, and it shows somebody who evolves, shall we say, from body snatching into murders, but they still call the film The Body Snatcher because that's what they think is going to draw people in and, and give it that air, that, that air of horror that, as filmmakers, they were obviously looking for. Well, yeah, murderers are ten a penny, aren't they? You know, body snatchers are something a little bit rarer, a little bit creepier, a little bit more horrifying. Yeah, certainly. So, kind of, I've got a couple of questions here for you, Kat. That um, we're probably going to get another guest on in a later series that I'm going to ask the same questions too. Um, but you're very much from the kind of surgeon anatomy side. Do you consider the body snatcher to have been? like the essential service, the heartless criminal, all that balance between the two. Where do, you, where do you stand on, you know, the moral view of the body snatcher? Well, it's certainly a bit of both, isn't it? Because from the point of view of the anatomist, dissection was utterly essential to what they were doing. You know, you, you often hear it portrayed as being just something that's being used for teaching medical students. But it was so much more than that. You know, bodies, uh, the, the dissection was being done to uh, do research, try and understand the body more in advanced medicine. It was also being done for surgical practice, uh, which is a very, very essential thing. I mean, if you think particularly that this is the time before anaesthetic, the idea that the surgeon is performing a procedure on you for the first time, having never done it before, you know, I mean, it doesn't even bear thinking about. Um, and so the, the example that I always like to give here is Ashley Cooper. Um, you know, Ashley Cooper, who was like the superstar surgeon of the early uh, 19th century. And yeah. he was a man who got to the position that he was in from doing the grunt work he did a lot of dissection you know he had he, he was he had a very good relationship with body snatchers you know he he would pay them a retainer in the summer months when he didn't do as much dissection he'd often give money to their families if they they ended up in prison um and he had them deliver bodies to his home so that he could do dissection before breakfast and ashley cooper ended up you know the equivalent of a millionaire uh, of his day and you know he was one of the most famous surgeons of the time he he operated on the king but he was doing this from a position of really knowing his way around the body from having done all these dissections his nephew Bransby not so much um, 
Bramsby had, you know, had seen that his uncle had got this wealth and fame, and he kind of wanted a bit of that too. So he followed his uncle, you know, down that that path, and he becomes a surgeon. But he'd been a bit lazy about doing all the dissection, and so the day came when he was going to be performing uh, an operation which is called a lateral lithotomy uh, on a man called Stephen Pollard. Uh, and Stephen Pollard was really, really happy that he was having the nephew of a famous surgeon carrying this procedure out on him. Could you just for a moment for the people who are not anatomically trained and myself, I'm a former anatomy student. Um, but could you just in layman's terms say what that lateral lithotomy is? Okay, so a lateral lithotomy is a way of removing a bladder stone. Aha! So a bladder stone was an incredibly painful, painful condition to suffer from. People, you know, went mad with the pain. And the lateral lithotomy was um, a, a way of doing, of removing a bladder stone that had been developed the previous century, again, by somebody who was carrying out a lot of dissection. And it involved uh, making an incision just behind the scrotum. So you you make the incision behind the scrotum. You get the scalpel in to where a probe has been put up the urethra of the penis till it gets into the bladder so you know where to cut to. And then you widen that with your finger and then you use a pair of forceps to pull the stone out. And Um, I now can't sit down. (laughs) Um, You need to be fairly you know, fairly confident in what you're doing because you don't want to be, you know, missing the stone and making the procedure taking longer than it should do. Because remember, this is, there is no anaesthetic at this point. Yeah. And I gather then that uh, Ashley Cooper's nephew is not the choice surgeon you might want if you're having this done at all, anaesthetic or not. So Bransby Cooper, uh, this procedure should take under 10 minutes. Bransby Cooper claims that the man has faulty anatomy. You know, it's <laughs> too deep, but, you know, all this kind of thing. He even, because, you know, surgery was done in a theatre where there was an audience at this point, he even casts around the audience of, I think it was meant to be something like 200 people, trying to find out if somebody had a longer forefinger than him that might be able to reach in a bit further. Ouch. Um, all the while, this man is there, you know, for this procedure, you have, um, you know, your knees drawn up to your chest with a rope tied behind your neck and your hands tied to your ankles. So this man is in this position while somebody's fiddling around trying to go, um, you know, grab this stone. The procedure takes over an hour. Um, and... Stephen Pollard, by the end of it, is just saying, stop, you know, just leave it there. Um, and he ends up dying from an infection because the operation has gone on for so long. Uh, and he had an autopsy and was discovered to have perfectly normal anatomy. Uh, and you can actually see the stone that uh, was removed three centimetres wide uh, at the Gordon Museum in London. So... This is the difference, you know, if you have, if you know your way around the body, these kind of things aren't going to happen. So having the access to bodies for dissection is very, very, very important. And Surgeons Hall is the Museum of the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh. Um, 
we have donated bodies today that come to us for surgeons to practice on. So this is still going on. This is still an important thing, even though, you know, we have so many other methods that we can use today that weren't available back in the, the 19th century. You know, the actual hands-on practicing of these techniques is still used as part of surgical training. So getting the bodies is very, very important. But on the other hand, people didn't want to be dug up. They didn't want their loved ones to be dug up. Um, at this point, there was a belief that if you weren't buried intact, then your soul couldn't rise come judgment day and you would be denied, um, you know, you, 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 an, immor an immortal sto a soul. And of course, people being dug up, it's when people are in the depths of grief, you know, so it's a very cold, heartless thing to be doing to people, um, you know, to, to be digging up their relatives, to be seen to be denying, you know, their chance of, of eternal salvation. They're not just digging up relatives uh, as well. I mean, my researchers pointed me at they're they're digging up relatives literally straight after the funeral. People people aren't in the ground, you know, more than twelve hours a lot of the time, are they? Well, that's true, and of course, that was essential because you know, one of the things about you know people when they die is if you leave them around too long, they get a wee bit stinky and the anatomists don't really want to be cutting them up. You know, when things start to be going a bit green and squidgy, it's not teaching you a lot about the body. So you have to get them out of the ground and to the anatomist as quickly as possible, really. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Talking about the acquisition of, uh, of bodies then, of course, what kills off the body snatching trade is the 1832 Anatomy Act. Uh, which for, for the listeners that are not thoroughly into the anatomy act, basically what that allows is that the people that died in the workhouse who were not claimed could be given over to the surgeons for, um, dissection. Now, this is the other part of the moral quandary here, Kat. It's like, where do you stand on the anatomy act? Well, I mean, the anatomy act is a very, very complicated thing. You know, there, there were, there were a whole lot of, a whole lot of threads going into both the formation of the Anatomy Act and the results of it. But it certainly meant that a lot of the people who were being dissected were the poorest and most vulnerable members of society. And uh, after the Anatomy Act, um, 57,000 bodies were um, dissected you know, in 100 years in the London schools alone. And I think it was something less than 1% of those weren't from the poorest members of society. So it's definitely taking something, because prior to the Anatomy Act, 
the uh, legitimate source of bodies was from the hangman's noose. It was seen as a punishment for murder. So you can see that the Anatomy Act makes it seem like it's a punishment for being poor. Yeah. So, yeah, again, we're still on that same knife edge of morality. The the benefits to people from medicine, from the medicine that's being... um, researched by these bodies you know it's a huge benefit to society but you're also preying on people who you know were very vulnerable so sort of trading one form of immorality for another you might say yeah yes it is um and it really that didn't change until we get into the 20th century and body donation becomes the much more common way of supplying these bodies. And that didn't really start to happen until between uh, the First and the Second World War. In fact, in 1832, um, just a few months after the Anatomy Act passed, there was uh, the case of Charlotte Bohm, who was a woman who had, uh, she was described as having um, extraordinary opinions. And uh, she had a child outside marriage. She died, uh, as many women did at that time, very shortly after the birth. And she wanted her body to be sold to anatomists and the money raised to be given to charity. Um, The problem was that the idea that somebody would donate their body was so alien to everyone at that time that they actually arrested her brother for murder, who'd taken the body along. Interesting. Um, Okay, so um, moving on from your actual day-to-day work rather than historical crime, we've kind of touched on this a little bit earlier in your introduction, but what goes into the actual logistics of keeping such a vast collection of human remains on display and in such good condition? I mean, I've been to the Surgeon's Hall recently. It is a very fine museum and very well laid out. So how do you do it? Well, in terms of the actual, of looking after the human remains, I kind of think of it as being like the sort of fourth bridge, you know, the, the idea that you get to one end of it and you've got to, you know, you, you, you've painted it all and you've got to go back to start again. So it's kind of like that with looking after the human remains. The, the, the uh, drive for decomposition has to be constantly fought against. And even things that you think of, like bones, they can get fatty, that needs to be dealt with. They need dusted, you know, things like that. And some things are constantly just needing the fluid changed. Again, tissue with a lot of muscle that tends to be fattier will tend to need the fluid changed much more regularly than something, um, you know, something less fatty. So yeah, it's a sort of constant battle against that. Um, and it's always a sort of fascinating job because as you do these things, you really get involved with the stories of the people that you're working with. And again, that's one of the pleasures of what I do is actually feeling like you get to know people. And, you know, sometimes you get to know them very well. Sometimes it's a more, you know, a more casual relationship. You might not know much about them, but it's always, there's always that amazing feeling of really uh, touching someone from the past. I mean, obviously, in more than just the sort of literal sense. Mm. So, you know, there's, there's also the, the work of actually researching the people that we have. And, yeah, it's endlessly fascinating. And, of course, we were talking about the fact that um, a lot of these people uh, would be poor members of society. These are the stories that are often not heard from history. So 
I think that's something that gives it a, you know, an extra importance that, you know, that we look after these things and we're remembering the people involved in them. I, I do think that there's something that you get from seeing human remains that you don't get just from reading the stories on paper. Yeah. Yes, that kind of ties into my next question on the uh, the ethics of displaying human remains. Some people get quite tetchy about it, um, but I think you've kind of answered the question already. That these these are people and bits of people, and it's important to respect them as such. Yeah, I mean, I do think that the question of displaying human remains is always going to be contentious, and mm. I don't think we're ever all going to agree. Um, Obviously, I couldn't do the job I do if I didn't believe that we could do it with respect and that it wasn't an important thing. So, yeah, I I think it's um uh it's definitely going to be a question where there's always going to be debate about. But you know, I think that there's a way of res- respecting the people from the past and honouring their stories and being able to use human remains to talk about who these people were and understand them better. But there's also things that are very important for us today. I mean, some of the work that I've done that I do involves sort of sampling and you can do, you can do genetic sampling with very, very tiny pieces of tissue nowadays. So things that we've looked at recently have included, you know, the development of, the flu and the measles viruses um, and obviously with the situation we're in with coronavirus you can see why maybe understanding virus evolution is important so there's that level of um, the importance of these kind of collections as well as I said I've been there fairly recently and you do have a policy of no photography in the galleries where there's human remains which is quite contrary to a certain other tourist attraction that actively encourage easier to take photos of uh, Burke's skin and bone fragments so I thought that was an interesting uh, juxtaposition of the two um, ways of showing the same basically the same human remains yeah I mean I not, not naming it that... but you know the one <laughs> um and i've never seen that one i have to say um yeah i mean i think there are certainly things that you shouldn't be able to do with uh sort of you know displays of human remains and so yeah our um our policy of no photography is in line with how we feel um you know that the, the remains that we have should be respected. Uh, of course, we always seem to find uh, pictures popping up on the internet that people have managed to sneak while they're in, uh, which we would definitely discourage. So you've given us an insight into a fascinating job that I'd never heard of before um, until really kind of we connected on Twitter. How does one even go about becoming a conservator of human remains? Um, it's It's a bit of pestering and luck basically um i did a degree in anatomy and my my first job out of my degree was um cutting people up uh in the mortuary uh so i was helping with with autopsies but i'd always wanted to work with museum collections and so while i was at university uh i had written to all the the museums in scotland which contain collections of human remains of which there are quite a few um and i was just really lucky that the hunterian museum in glasgow were actually looking for someone to work on their collections at that time um 
but there was no one out there with the skills. And so they were prepared to send me down to the Royal Culture Surgeons in London uh, to have uh, Simon Moore, who's an expert in fluid conservation, uh, coming to Glasgow to work with me there so that I could learn the skills required to do this job. And, you know, that's uh, 20 years ago now. So Thank you. Uh, so um, to finish up, what does the Surgeons Hall Museum have coming up in the future? What are you planning next? Any events or new exhibitions or changes to the museum? What? Well, it's a very, very exciting time for us at Surgeons Hall because um, I'm speaking to you uh, at the end of August and on the 11th of September, we're opening both uh, our new gallery, uh, Body Voyager, which is looking at the future of surgery, so surgical robotics, And we're also opening our new temporary exhibition, which is called A Model Education, which is all about uh, anatomical models and the way they've been used um, for teaching. So uh, these are both things uh, that were delayed by COVID. So A Model Education was meant to open in April last year and Body Voyager was meant to open last September. And obviously that didn't happen for the way that so many things haven't happened over the last uh, 18 months. So we've got that coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, And then, you know, we've got our event programme over the the autumn and winter where I'm going to be doing um, a two-week course on dissection and the history of dissection. So obviously that ties in quite a lot to things that we've been talking about today. Uh, So, yeah, it's very, very, very exciting at Surgeons Hall just now. Well, thank you very much, Kat. I mean, that was... That was fascinating and really unique. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to learn more about Kat's work, uh, one of the ways you can do so, first of all, is by buying a ticket to the online talk she's doing for the London Month of the Dead. Um, So tickets are available for that at londonmonthofthedead.com, or you can follow her on Twitter at AnatomicalCat. Well, Kat, thank you very much for for joining us. I I think you'll agree, Carl. That was absolutely mind blowing and fascinating. Thank you very much. Just wonderful. Thank you so very much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Paul Bavel, and I'm at Kyle G History. And you can leave comments, thoughts, and please send your own History Rages using the hashtag History Rage. If you've enjoyed our work, then please subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.